Right. Well, one of my favorite shows on TV is this show called The Prophet. Have you heard of it? Uh, it's not prophet, uh, but profit. So profit as in money, uh, money made. And so it's, a, it's about a real guy. Uh, this isn't fake. A uh, real guy named Marcus Lemonis who invests all of his lots of money that he's earned from Camping World or something like that um, into struggling businesses and then turns them around. And, and I think one of the best cases, examples, is, is a guy named Peter Berenger. Peter Berenger, he's the owner of Sweet Pete's, a, a candy store in Jacksonville, Florida. And he had this, his struggling little candy store in a house that was, uh, it was quaint, it was nice, uh, but they had a problem. Um, they were losing so much money every year that they were going to have to close. And so they had to change or die. And so they bring in Marcus, um, very wise sage, uh, and he says, he, he always says he looks at three things when he looks at a business. He looks at the people, the product, and the process. He sounds like a preacher, right? Um, and usually there, there's some great minds on the show, someone who's like, you're very quirky, like, like Sweet Pete, who's, who's quirky, but he's passionate about their product, uh, and they just don't know what to do, though. Um, and so in this case, it was Sweet Pete. He was passionate about candy. He had that, that, that pulled taffy, salted caramels, like he, and he also, he taught, uh, you know, children and, and others of how to make all this stuff. It was all really good stuff. But his process was just what was killing him. Like you look at the front of the shop, it seemed normal. Everything looked like a, a normal candy store. But you look at the back and then you look at the kitchen. It was like someone's kitchen here that was smaller, uh, like a, a, a size of an apartment. And so like, how did they make all this candy in there? It, it, it was this really small space. It was messy. They had stuff laying all over. But they had a great product, and they had great people. But the process, the process was killer. Now, process doesn't sound like a big deal, but every time you go to a restaurant, usually I give a restaurant that opens up a new one two weeks before I do anything. But Because when you go into a restaurant and then you wait 45 minutes to be seated, and then you wait another hour to get your food, and the food is meh, that's when you realize process is crucial. Like you didn't, you just know it when something is poorly run. You, you, you instinctively know it because you, you feel the disharmony and it's infuriating. Now that same thing happens in churches. Maybe the people are great. The teaching's solid, but something falls through the cracks or someone falls through the cracks. You know, what happened to that family? Last week, we, we began talking about what an elder smells like, right? And, and, and I want to unpack that even more today. Like, what does an elder smell like? Meaning, we said, what do they do? And, and as we said, an elder is a shepherd who cares for the flock by feeding them, if you remember the points from last week, by protecting them and equipping them. So last week, we covered that, that the general tasks of an elder, and that was the big 50,000-foot level. This week, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. How exactly do elders feed, protect, and equip the sheep? That's where we'll spend the bulk of our time today. And so I want us to lay the blueprint for the process, the all-important process of shepherding. Now, some of you are, are, are highly practical people, and you're going to love this sermon. You're itching to get into the specifics. You want to dot those I's, cross those T's. You want to ask, ask how all this stuff works. 
But for others of you, you're more like Bernie Sanders at the inauguration. And this is all just really unnecessary. Like, <laughs> I've got other things to do today. Did you see the mail he had in his arm? That was great. Uh, I get it. <laughs> this will be a very different type of sermon in that regard. But I want you to stick with us today. For both of you, the Bernies and the Sweet Peets out there, God has something to say to you. So today we're going to look at, you ready for the alliteration? The process, the problem, and the power of elders. I'll say that again. The process, the problem, and the power of elders. So the process. What is it? What, what are we doing? How does it work? Rubber meets the road. The fine print. Well, to start with, uh, one great question that some of you guys asked after last week was, uh, what is the difference between an elder and a pastor? Usually, we like to distinguish between a pastor and an elder, and we put pastors up on this pedestal as like the ones in charge leading the church, setting its vision, preaching, and providing pastoral care, which they do those things. But biblically speaking, though, there is no difference between the terms. Biblically speaking, Paul, Peter, all over the New Testament, elders our pastors, our bishops, our overseers, and they're used interchangeably. And because, as we saw last week, that a pastor simply means shepherd. And this is why in the PCA, our, our denomination, Presbyterian Church uh, in America, we don't distinguish between pastor and elder. But we have ruling elders and teaching elders. Ruling elders, as you might expect, rule. They, 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 their shepherding is still primary, and then in teaching elders, as you expect, teach more, but shepherding is still primary. But ruling elders teach, and t t uh, teaching elders rule, but teaching elders is, is what we normally call pastors, right? The reason for this distinction is that teaching elders, pastors, devote all of their time to the work, and with more time devoted, more time teaching and preaching, we set the bar higher for these elders. And so it's not just like anybody can become a pastor and just like, you know, I think I'll be a pastor today. Or maybe you've heard stories of folks going online and submitting your name. Maybe some of you have done, that, done this into a portal and you just type in your name and you give it like five bucks and you're like, voila, I'm a pastor. <laughs> no, we think like if you're going to care for God's flock and hearts and souls, you should have a, a little more training than that. And so with very few exceptions, we, we require pastors, teaching elders to have, uh, a, to have a seminary degree and to go through testing. I told you, today is hyper-practical, okay? So stick with me. Ruling elders, likewise, it's not as if you just believe and all of a sudden you're a ruling elder. Like, deep in my heart, I know I'm a ruling elder. No. <laughs> There's a process as well. The process to become a ruling elder is, as we've noted, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our first ever congregational meeting. Woo! Doesn't that sound exciting? And did you know when we did it? It's on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Isn't that just so romantic? <laughs> Honey, will you go to the congregational meeting with me? <gasps> you will? Oh, happy day! <laughs> Don't worry. We're going to bring the chocolate fondue. It's going to be super romantic. <laughs> The meeting's going to be right after service. You know, that, that just sounds perfect, sitting outside in a parking lot with your date. All right, okay, cool. Uh, but at this meeting, uh, we, you, will nominate elders and deacons, and we'll talk about deacons in a few weeks. 
Uh, and those who are nominated are nominated to go to officer training. And so we're not actually voting someone in yet. We're voting someone to go to the training stage. And then for about three months, we'll do some training in, in theology and shepherding and diaconing. Um, and then at the end of the three months, if those in training get assessed and they see themselves as, yes, that this is who I am, and they, they get assessed and they, they pass, they move forward, they see themselves still after all of that work and they want to move forward, we then we present a slate of officers to you. And so you can know who you're voting for, because most of you guys may not know a lot of people yet, as we're new. Um, but then you can vote yes or no. And then we'll have elders that serve three-year terms. This is not a forever term thing here. And so you rotate on, rotate off after three years, and then you can be up for election after, three, after that a year off. Um, after serving three years, then a year off. How will we nominate in February? How does that work? I told you we're getting to the nitty-gritty. We'll send you a Google form to add names uh, of people. After hearing a few more sermons and elders and deacons, you can add names to that Google form of members who are within Mosaic. So if someone has to be within Mosaic. Now, some other distinctions between a ruling elder and a teaching elder. All elders share the responsibility to feed, to protect, and to equip the congregation. The primary difference is that while a ruling elder may occasionally serve in a, in, in a formal teaching capacity, it is the teaching elder's primary job uh, it, 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 to teach, to preach. That's what they are called to do. That's their feeding. But I, I love that some churches even call their ruling elders pastors because that they, they're, they're putting them in the importance of what they're doing because that's what they're doing. They are pastoring. They are shepherding. But again, I know that this, this is kind of a cultural different ways of saying these things. But again, this is on top of all of their other duties, on top of their work in the community, on top of their work in their home. Like, there's so much going on with a ruling elder. A ruling elder is already a member of Mosaic. He's doing those other things, and he's doing these things on top of that. A teaching elder pastor is actually not a member of our church. So me, I am actually not a member of Mosaic. I actually don't have a vote in, in, in our meetings. I'm a member of Presbytery. And that's our oversight body. It's a group of about 40 churches up in North uh, Texas, Dallas area. Uh, and this group works as our presbytery. That word presbytery, again, is the word for elders. And so th this, that's what we are part of. Now, once someone is elected to elder, practically, what does that look like? Let's say you, someone got elected uh, and we had three months later. What does that look like? Feeding the sheep. And as we said, feeding the word. And so an elder shepherd has got to be able to teach the Bible, whether that's in a Bible study, in a sermon, a book study, etc. But that, that feeding is broader than just teaching. True shepherds know their sheep. And to truly know your sheep, an elder pastor needs to do what's called pastoral care. And so once we have elders, we'll divide the congregation into to what we call shepherding groups that a elder is responsible for. And then you can expect an elder to check in with you, to call you, to text you, even visit you as we deem, you deem appropriate, right? And so one of the joys of elders is, is seeing our people in their homes. It's praying over you, whatever you're going through. Like, isn't this like the type of shepherding that we all deeply want already? Like, I want someone to know me in such a deep, deep way that if I go missing for months on end, they, they give me a call. Are, are, are you okay? 
I mean, I mean, how sad would it be if no one followed up? Or if, if I always felt like I'm the new person every time I walk into church. How sad is that? Like elder shepherds know you and connect with you in a way that you always have one person. You can say is caring for you, is praying over you. Someone who can see the pain beneath the facade. You, you know, everyone says, how are you doing? I'm okay. And they can see that maybe you're not okay. And when, when a shepherd sees that, when they sense the pain, whatever pain we're going through, they join the sheep in their crisis. So shepherds take on the crisis. James 5, 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So if you go to the hospital, who will visit you? If you're in crisis, should you expect your elder to show up? Absolutely. <laughs> if it's appropriate for an elder to do this, if it's appropriate you and you invite it, yes, this is part of the job of an elder. And we know that, that, that this isn't always going to happen all the time. Some folks want people to visit. Others don't. We get that. But the big things that happen in life, we want to celebrate with you. And we want to lament with you. This is, this is part of the shepherd knowing the sheep. Now, now it's important to know that, that an elder can only do these tasks, again, if, if they're aware of the crisis. And so we need you to reach out and to be able to communicate to elders in times of crisis. Obviously, if, 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 and then if you, have, if you hear something with you know, sensitivity to how confidential it is, alert elders to situations where we should provide follow-up and provide care. And so... Other tasks that are part of the job of an elder is to protect. Talked about that, right? To, to teach, protect. Protecting can look like providing oversight over the pastor myself. And so, and one day soon, Malcolm, one day soon, and to encourage us and to help us stay faithful to the word, as well as oversight to the church's membership and administering the sacraments and even the difficult task of church discipline. That word kind of hurts saying out loud, right? <laughs> no one likes that phrase, church discipline. Um, we've talked about discipline before, but, but the best analogy I've heard that makes this scary phrase make sense is like in the story of the Odyssey. How many of y'all read the Odyssey? I'm not seeing any hands, but okay. Uh, <laughs> bad joke. All right, do you remember when Homer was on the boat and he goes by the island of Sirens? And, and, and this island with, with women whose voice would deter them to their own demise, that siren call. And just by hearing the siren call, you, you, you go astray and to your demise. And Homer wisely says, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself around this island. And so tie me to the mast of the ship and don't let me sabotage myself and our ship. And so asking elders to give us oversight is like this. I don't trust myself. I know my own heart that it is prone to wander and I need others to intervene when I go astray. And so that, that, that's, that, that's what we're asking elders to do is to, to, to help us, to catch us. And so it can be a beautiful thing. Lastly, said so with the job of an elder is also to equip the saints for ministry. And we talked a little bit about that uh, a week ago, but to, just to go one step further, besides equipping you for the work, you know, we talked about uh, doing discipleship, a disciple discipling a disciple and things like that. But it's a, equipping also includes oversight over the church's budget to carry out the vision. And like Homer, 
Should we, the church, stray for our reason for an existence here at Mosaic and elders to bring us always back to our mission, our vision, our values? And so an elder protects that, protects that vision, and uses the budget to help us go after that vision. Now, you may be wondering, how much of a time commitment is all of this? (laughs) Well, as you clearly see, this is asking a lot. A ruling elder is not an employee of the church, and so they're doing this on top of everything with shepherding the flock, visiting the sick, attending regular session meetings, and a session meeting is what, it's a collection of elders together, um, as well as attending presbytery meetings, which is about quarterly, usually up in Dallas, overnight, (laughs) it may be a lot to ask. But instead of lowering the bar for shepherds, we say, what does scripture ask of elders shepherds? And let's see whom the Lord raises to meet the challenge. I think a lot of times we just want to lower the bar and be like, well, we just need someone to, to sit, in, sit into this position. No, we're at, so this, is what it, this, is the, this is the bar. <laughs> let's see who the Lord raises up for that. And so some of you may be like, still, but, but who would want to do all of that? <laughs> I agree. Who? <laughs> There's so many layers to, to, to doing this work, so much work within the church. And then we consider the work outside of the church. Truly, who would want to do this? They must be crazy. They might be. Why would anyone willingly put themselves through all of that? Aren't we all busy enough as it is? Here's the problem. Because like Bernie, you may be sitting with wool mittens on, smugly saying, boring, (laughs) shepherds, elders, I couldn't care less. (laughs) Here's why you should. Here's why you should care. Here's why you should take those mittens off, stand up, and get in the game. Ezekiel, an actual prophet, prophet, (laughs) says "Without, without good shepherds, the problem is God's people starve to death. When the shepherds don't shepherd rightly, God's people suffer. And so in Ezekiel 34, 2, it says, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the starved you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. What a sad picture of what the elder and shepherds should be doing but are not. And so whether you've been under toxic leadership or maybe you've heard about it, we, we can all feel and sense the bite and the pain and the sting of leaders who only look out for themselves. Ezekiel says shepherds were feeding themselves, not the sheep. Meaning, as shepherds of the church, they were gorging or feasting on the glories of some finer theological truths, sipping on the the beautiful ray of God's design. They were maybe even praying the Psalms, but not considering how would this affect their sheep. How does, what does my flock need? What are they going through in this life cycle? How do I need the truths into the life of my sheep? And that's the job of these shepherds. And so by not doing it, it was a sin of neglect. The weak we don't strengthen, the sick, the injured, the stray, they just leave to themselves. Selfishly, they put themselves first. What interests me? And so it's apathy over their, what their people are going through. 
neglect that has stemmed from apathy over their people. But it's not just apathy. The passage goes on and it gets darker. In the end of verse 4, it says, And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Hmm. With force and harshness you have ruled them, and so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And so it is an abdication over their role, but it's also an abuse. And typically leaders stray into one of these two camps when they sin, when they err. They abdicate, they do nothing, or they abuse. They have no process, no trellis, no, no, nothing to, to support the, the work, the ministry, or they have no heart. They abdicate what they should be doing. They neglect or they abuse and bully other people to accomplish their agenda. They're harsh. They're toxic. And sadly, we can see the rise and fall of so many pastors like this these days. Why is the process worth it? Look at how untrusting the world has become of the church. Shepherds have time and time again abused their role. I mean, we can think of pastors removed for someone bringing a complaint of sexual abuse within the church. And the shepherds did nothing. We can think of the Me Too movement or the Church Too movement. I mean, how sad is it that we have that? We'd also think of the, the overly domineering shepherds who, as the scripture says, rule with harshness and force, with bite. A couple years ago, I mean, I, I literally cried when someone told me that every time I walk out of church, I feel so much shame. Far be it. That's not how you should walk out of church. That's on the pastor, but it's also on the elders who don't hold the pastor accountable. No wonder there's such distrust of our shepherds. We have a crisis of shepherds in this nation, and that's why we're talking about this. That's why we believe we need to pause and carefully lay these blueprints for the health of the church. I, I, it may feel like we're going slow through this process, but it, it shows you how important it is, right? You measure twice, do something once, I forget what that phrase goes. <laughs> so we, we saw the process. We see the problem ever so clearly. But lastly, let's look at the power for elders. The tendency of every organization and every church, ours included, it, as we grow, and we grow more and more complex, we grow more and more, uh, we add more things to do, and it just makes sense. Like, on one hand, hallelujah, we need more processes, amen, to, to have this thing be healthy. We need more structure. We need more systems and structures in place to support the work of the ministry. We just saw the need for that. We affirm that. Amen, hallelujah. However, the process on its own, without a power to draw on, will ultimately fail. The church its elders need something deeper than just Robert's rules of order in a monthly meeting. We need Jesus. In Matthew 9.35, this beautiful, beautiful picture, Jesus sums up just how Jesus sees you and me and how elders should see their people. In verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't care about all of you. 
He's teaching. He's prophesying. He's preaching the gospel. And he's healing diseases and affliction. Everywhere he went, that's what he did. Then we look at verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees what you and I may not even see about ourselves. When when he sees you and me, he has compassion, which is kindness, or it's favor, or it's it's gracious, it's, it's having pity, or it's mercy. He looked at us and saw that, yes, we're sinners, yes, we're rebellious, yes, we're guilty, but he also saw that we're harassed, that we're helpless. Oh my goodness, this is important. We are harassed by what? Helpless to what? It's as if we are coal miners working day and night in these mountains, breathing the toxic air of sin, and we're dying, and we don't even know it. We're blind to our sin. Our lungs are being harassed. We're helpless to the sin that is all around us. Jesus sees how from every angle, the devil, sin itself, is crouching at the door. Its desire is to overtake you, to lead you astray. The devil, demons, your very own heart are all working against you. And we breathe this toxic air willfully, walking into coal mines and situations that tempt us to sin. And these are all working against us in Jesus. Jesus, instead of being fed up with you and wanting nothing to do with you, has compassion on you. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Without someone to care for them. To show them differently. To show them better. To show them that the very air they're breathing is toxic. The amount of love that is packed into that verse. I just love it. That he sees us and he has compassion. I mean, if an elder in in the church is marked by one thing, I pray that it be compassion. Because we received that same compassion. That's the secret power that every elder has. That's their superhuman strength. That's compassion because we received it. The compassion will power and fuel elders to see and love their church deeply. That's, that's, there's, a, there's this great line in a John Foreman song where he says, If it doesn't break your heart, it's not love. If it doesn't break your heart, it's not love. And this is what an elder is, one whose heart breaks over and over out of love for God's people. Because this is how Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, is to us. He loves you, and it breaks his heart to see you helpless. He doesn't have to have compassion, and yet he does. And his compassion leads him. It led him to step into this world. It led him to die for you. It led him to take the nails and have the crown of thorns scrunched onto his head for people to spit on him, to be put into the grave, but he's not in the grave anymore. (laughs) The grave came bursting out and he's alive and he's reigning in heaven today. And now he sends us under shepherds to come and to care for each of us. Oh, Christ church is beautiful. Yes, it's flawed. Yes, some of you, some of the people have abdicated or abused their role, but it can be glorious because you are not alone. No, God has appointed an elder, a shepherd to care for you. 
This process may be long. It may be arduous. Some might say that, why would you even do any of it? It's because you are worth it. The process is worth it. Christ church is worth it. Let's honor the process and our future elders and let's pray for them. Would you pray with me now?